0: A few years ago, there was a, a very successful podcast called Serial. Uh, you probably heard of it, a lot of us maybe even listened to it. It was, it was basically an investigative report concerning a crime that, it would, that had been committed about 20 years ago. And in the case, there was a young man who was charged with the crime and convicted on trial, and then he was sentenced to life in prison. Case closed. But the podcast shed new light on the case. And so millions of people, as they listened, began to form their own theories. I mean, was there really enough physical evidence to convict? Uh, were, the, were the testimonies credible? Were, you know, did, did the defendant receive a fair trial? Questions like that. In other words, has justice really been served in a case like this? And everybody who was listening in had an opinion, and a very strong opinion, about what they thought the truth was. And the reason for that is that every single person, all of us in this room, we all have a very deep, inborn sense of justice. We all know the difference between right and wrong, and we insist in matters of right and wrong that justice be done. That's why we're appalled to think that guilty people ever go free, or that guilty people receive too light a punishment relative to what we think they deserve. We're also appalled when innocent people suffer because deep down we know what's right, what's fair, what's just, and we have a very simple black and white way of seeing that. So you know, our our justice system in America has many flaws, but it does work on a pretty simple premise, that the good guys should be rewarded and the bad guys should be punished, right? And we all know that, intuitively we know that. So it shouldn't be a surprise That this is bigger than just the justice system. This is actually how most people around the world view religion. Most religion functions on the very same premise. That there's a God, or perhaps many gods, depending on your view, but they all hand down to us some manner of divine law. The rules, the path, the pillars. What we're expected to do. And if you are good, if you do what you're supposed to, if you're diligent and committed, then of course you'll be rewarded. And if you don't, if you're ignorant or if you're just plain rebellious, then you'll be punished, right? That's the way religion works because that's what's right. That's what's fair. That's what's just. It's logical. And, of course, that's what most people think Christianity teaches, too. Christianity gets lumped in along with the rest. God likes the good guys. God punishes the bad guys. End of story. That simple. But, you know, when we open the Bible, we're given an entirely new category, something that does not fit In our preconceived intuitions as to what this is and this is, God actually gives us something that we would have never thought of. And we see an amazing picture of that truth right here in Romans chapter 8. It's been said that if the Bible were a mountain range, Romans 8 would be the highest peak, the pinnacle. It's frankly, it's an intimidating thing for me to stand up and preach, not because I'm afraid of what it says, but I'm afraid I can't do it justice. That's how wonderful, how marvelous this scripture is. But before we get into Romans 8, really, you know, it's it's also maybe not fair to just do one chapter in the middle of a 16-chapter book. And so I'm just going to kind of very briefly give some context here. What comes before Romans 8 that helps us understand it better, okay? So just this, I'm going to give you two minutes here on this. In the very beginning of Romans, really the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul, who wrote it, Paul gives us uh, an exposure concerning human sin, what our sin really looks like. And in chapter 1, Paul says there are people in the world who just reject God outright. They they run from God. They rebel from God. They live according to their own appetites and desires. God is not in the picture for them any longer. Those people exist. And the religious people say, well, of course, those are the bad people. We know about them. But then Paul gives us a shock in chapter 2. When he says, even religious people are still under the condemnation of God as sinners. Religious people don't have a leg up on the rest. Because religion so often is simply a covering for hypocrisy. Paul says, you who look down your noses on the bad people, don't you secretly practice the same things? And anyone who's willing to take an honest look at their own heart will acknowledge the truth of that. Yes, I do. Yes, I am a hypocrite. I'm not as good as I like to present myself to be. Religion, even though I believe in God and I read the Bible and I I try to obey the rules, I'm still a sinner. And Paul says, I'm lost as a result. And then he just lays down the gauntlet in chapter 3. He says, all of us are sinners no matter how high or low on the moral ladder you esteem yourself to be, he says we're all in the same boat. He quotes King David who says, there is none righteous, not even one. Nobody truly loves and worships and obeys God as God deserves. And therefore we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Now, if God is righteous and just, that, that puts us in pretty miserable shape. Right, If our categories stand that the good guys get rewards and the bad guys get punished, and justice demands that guilt be punished, then that means bad news for us. God cannot and will not just shrug his shoulders at sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. And so what Paul does for us in Romans is he, he just paints us all into the same corner. All the nice people and the nasty people. We end up in the same place together. We are justly under condemnation, and no amount of good work or good intentions can get us out of it. So Paul, of course, is lumped in with this group too, and he gives us a fair response. At the end of chapter 7, right before what we're going to look at today, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? And see, what Paul is saying is the echo for any person who recognizes their own sin in the light of God's holiness. We can can only come to one conclusion. Wretched person that I am, who's going to save me from this? But then Paul answers his own question. In the affirmative, thankfully. Who will save me from the body of this death, Paul says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we have Romans chapter 8. There is an answer to our despair. God has acted on our behalf through His Son. And therefore, the marvelous mountain peak here of Romans 8 stands as true for us forever. Take a look with me at verse 1. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now that right there is worth an eternity of reflection. And I just believe that that a million years from now, as we sit in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ, we will still be amazed by what we just read, that truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is not Paul's opinion. This is the declaration of God. Y'all, no condemnation is a legal verdict where God, the perfect judge, declares you not guilty. And when we read Romans 8, verse 1, precious as it may be, you may have it memorized. I hope you'll memorize it if you don't. See, we read it, and it's so far beyond our categories that it's hard for us to grasp. I bet, at least at some point in your life and in mine, we've read Romans 8.1, but we didn't read it right. We read, there is now less condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the whole no condemnation thing, frankly, just doesn't fit. Because when we think about forgiveness, I know this so often, when I think about the forgiveness of God, what I think is, God's giving me a second chance. See, that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness gives me a do-over. I mess things up, but because God loves me, He's going to let me have another go around. He pushes the reset button. But y'all, that's not what biblical forgiveness means. That's not what salvation means. It's not just a do-over. A a second chance isn't going to do us any good if we're still sinners. No. No condemnation means that God takes a guilty person like me and totally expunges our guilt. So that with total credibility, God declares me now innocent of sin. Not guilty, but with a second chance, but totally innocent and pure. Now, how can God do that? Well, Paul says it's true for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, when, y'all, when God saves a person, He does more than just forgive sin. Essential as that is, there's more to it than just that. God, when He saves you, He brings you into union with Christ. See, Paul says, if you go back to Romans 5, Paul says that before our salvation, we are in Adam. That's the phrase he uses. In Adam. Adam being the first man who ushered sin into the world, Genesis 3. We're in Adam because we share in Adam's nature. We are sinners like he was. But now, by faith, Paul says, we are in Christ. Which means what is true of Jesus is now also true of you. Should I be condemned for my sins? Yes. I'm guilty. Will I be condemned for my sins? God says never. God declares that because I am in Christ, if you have been made one with Christ, you cannot be condemned any more than Christ can be condemned. You can only fail in this regard if Jesus Christ fails you. And of course, he never will. There is no condemnation. In Christ, you've been declared not guilty, innocent of sin. But that's not all. You see what verse 2 says? It's not just a legal verdict there's actually something happening. Uh, and Paul gives us the, the image of, of those who are enslaved being set free. He says the, uh, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now, when Paul uses that word law, at least in verse 2, I don't think he's talking about the list of rules as much as he's talking about a way of being, a way of life. Think about it as... as Power and authority and governing reality. That there was a governing reality of sin and of death. That's what happens to those who are far from God. That we were like slaves under a cruel master. We were like prisoners without parole. Because of our sin, we were in a position under an authority of something that could only kill us and condemn us. But now, now we've been set free. Back in Romans 7, Paul says, you have now died to that which bound you. The shackles that were on us called sin and death have been broken and we are now set free never to return because we live in a new reality. A new reality. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from sin and death. Spirit, capital S, God's spirit, overcomes sin, and life overcomes death. That's the new way of being. And y'all, when when God forgives you, sometimes I know we we tend to think forgiveness is just sentimental. Something we say, but we may not really feel. We may not really mean it. I have to say it, because that's the nice and kind and Christian thing to do. But deep down, I harbor what's been done to me. Y'all, listen, that's not what Paul's talking about here. That God forgives you because he's nice, but deep down, he's still got the book on you. Right. And he's, he'll pull it out as needed. No. You have been set free. The old domain of sin and death is no longer where you live. You've been transferred out into the kingdom of light. It's not just words that God speaks. It's a fundamental change that's taken place because the Spirit has conquered sin and life has conquered death. Now, y'all, this, this is wonderful news, right? Right? I'm not going to do better than this right here. I do hope you come back next Sunday. But here's the truth. If, if If God gives me the ability to stand up and preach until I'm 80, I'm never topping this. It just can't be done. There's nothing better than what we've just read. God can do no better than what He's done for us in Christ. But it does raise a question here. Something that bothers me, and maybe it's just because I like to try to logically put things in boxes. How is it really... That a guilty person can be declared innocent? How is it that guilty people can really be set free? And we may say, well, God forgives us. Of course, that's how. But y'all, listen, think about this. Forgiveness doesn't actually remove guilt. Forgiveness, wonderful as it is, forgiveness doesn't undo what's been done. Uh, maybe, maybe if you think about it like this, you, you might have seen this on TV or on social media just a few months ago. There was a woman on trial for murder, and the victim 's brother took the stand and forgave her the the woman who had killed his brother. He forgave her because he 's a Christian. He got up, walked over, and hugged this woman and it was just it was shocking and beautiful. This scene, The judge was crying. And so what did the judge do? Did the judge say, you're free to go? Case dismissed. No, the judge sent the woman to prison because she was guilty. The forgiveness was wonderful, but it didn't undo the crime and therefore it can't undo the penalty. And so the question for us is, okay, God forgives me, but how does He actually declare me innocent? I mean, how is that possible? If I'm really guilty, then what, you know, doesn't justice demand punishment for guilt? How does God work around that? So when Paul speaks of of God removing our condemnation, I said this before, it's not just sentimental feelings. Something decisive has to be done. Guilt has to be reckoned with. That's what Paul tells us has happened. Look at verse 3. For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Now, Randy, if you'll leave that up there for me. You notice, at least this is New American Standard Bible that I use. Now, that word law is capitalized. Uh, And that's that's meant to show us that what Paul is talking about in verse 3 is actually the law of God. Uh, If you want to pare it down to, to the Ten Commandments, that's fine. The law that God gave to Moses to give to the people that we might know what righteousness looks like. The law of God is perfect. It's righteous. It expresses the character of God and the character that God demands of His people and of the world, right? But there's something the law cannot do. Even though it's good and perfect and righteous, the law can't save you. The law can tell you what righteousness is, but it can't actually make you righteous. Do we all understand that? Just like any other law, and think about our laws as a society here in America. We know what's right and wrong. We know the punishment that comes with doing wrong. But knowing that it's wrong doesn't actually change your heart. You can still do it. In fact, knowing it's wrong may be no deterrent at all. If it's in your heart to do it, you'll do it. See, the law can't change us. The law can't make us righteous. The law can't save us. But notice what Paul affirms right here. What the law could not do, God did. God intervened. God has done for us. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. God sent His Son to be one of us. In Hebrews it says that Jesus Christ has been made like his brethren in all things just as we are, yet without sin. When Paul says in the likeness of sinful flesh, he's not saying that, that Jesus was a sinner, but that he took on flesh, he became like us. And what that, what that means, y'all? God solves our problem from the inside. God doesn't wave a wand over the world to take care of our issues. No, when God looked at sin and death and the condemnation they incur, God says, I will solve this problem from the inside. I will send my Son in the flesh to do for them what they in their flesh can never do. See, Jesus kept the law of God perfectly in righteousness. For you. Knowing that you could not do it for yourself. And then Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice for you. The death that we deserved as condemnation for our sins. Jesus Christ took it for us. Y'all, justice demands that guilt be punished, right? We all know that. On the cross, it has been. God does not sweep sin under the rug. God does not shrug His shoulders and say, well, I just love you too much to condemn you. Come on in. No, He decisively deals with sin and the penalty of sin, not through us, not by destroying us, but by destroying His Son on the cross in our place. That's why Peter says Jesus Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. Jesus offers himself as a perfect substitute and sacrifice for us. And so if we, if we ask the question, is God just? Then the answer is yes. Well, how do we know? We look at the cross where justice was dealt with, where justice was final. It was put on Christ. Okay, God's just. Well, is God merciful? Is he forgiving? Yes. How do we know? Look at the cross where justice and mercy met in perfect fulfillment, He paid the penalty that we might be forgiven. He took our place. Y'all, you know, it's an easy thing to hear that. Maybe you've heard that before. And just to generalize it, we say Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus died for the world. That's so wonderful. But we might miss the sharp and stinging reality of what that actually means for Kyle. And for you and, and, and uh, those that you love. Listen, if Jesus Christ died for sin in your place, then you can fill in your own blanks according to what you know you've done. But what that means for you and what it means for me is every evil thought, every hidden action, every ugly thing about you and me, the stuff we hope nobody ever finds out about, it will discredit us, it will ruin us, that kind of stuff, Jesus Christ took responsibility for it as if He did it. God didn't punish sin generically. He punished my sin specifically on His Son. That means that all of the condemnation that I had built up over time was put on someone else instead. Y'all, Jesus took my hell into his own heart. And he did the same for you. See, our sin condemns us, but we have a merciful substitute, a Savior who took it for us. And what's more, if that wasn't enough, he, it, Paul says he condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus, through his death, turns the tables on sin. He wasn't the victim of the sin of the world, but he actually puts to death the power and the penalty of sin through his own flesh. Jesus is the victor here because of what he was willing to do for us. Only a perfect and righteous son of God could do that. But when he died for our condemnation, he turned the tables on sin itself so that there is no sting or victory any longer for what condemns us. We are free. So that, verse 4, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I've always been intrigued by what verse 4 means. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We we mentioned this a moment ago. God's law is perfect and righteous, it's the standard. We cannot achieve it. We cannot fulfill it. We are we in our sin can't measure up, right? And yet, the law is fulfilled in us. That's passive, that's not active, that's not something you and I can do. That's something we must simply receive. What that means is that the righteousness that God requires has been fulfilled for you, in you. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He didn't just take your sins away, the bad stuff away but He gives you His righteousness in its place so that when God looks at you, God can look at you with credibility and say, perfect, righteous, as if you yourself have lived perfectly under His law without stain or blemish forever. And we know better, right? I know what I've done. God certainly knows better. How can He say that? Go back to verse 1. For those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Everything we needed, God has supplied. Because we put our trust in him, it's now all true. You know, I mentioned before, we, you know, we don't have natural categories for this. We like to think purely in terms of black and white. Good gets rewards, bad gets punished, right? That's, that's just how life works. That's how life is supposed to work. And because we don't have a new category for grace, it's so hard for us to really grasp and understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, we tend to fall off to the side. If, if righteousness through Christ is a very straight line, it's very easy for us to step to one side or the other, to fall into a trap, even as Christians. And so here as we kind of wind down here, I want to give us two traps that maybe we're prone to fall into that, that Romans 8 is simply too good to be true, perhaps, and, and man, we just we miss it. Um, one, is, one is positive and one is negative. Maybe you think about it like that. Um, first trap, there, there's a there's a person, there's a kind of person who's generally good and nice. And therefore we don't really think about and feel the weight of sin the way maybe we should. Uh, this is see, this is my category, this is my trap. That I know I'm a sinner. I'll admit it up and down. But when I look around, I don't tend to think of myself as all that bad because it's not hard to find somebody worse than me. Worse than you, right? I mean, if you, if you and I look at the world with all the lying and the abuse and the backstabbing going on right now in the world, we come out looking pretty good by comparison. Don't we? And so even though I know I'm a sinner... I don't think of myself as all that bad. I don't think of myself as evil and unrighteous. No, I'm a pretty decent guy. And therefore, maybe I just need Jesus to kind of meet me halfway. And so listen, if, if, if any of us share in that mentality, if we think of ourselves as basically good and decent people, then what we do always, we become the kind of people who look to Jesus more as an advisor rather than a savior. I come to Jesus more for help and less for rescue. Because in my own heart, I don't see myself as all that bad, all that needy. But y'all, if that's the case, good, nice, cleaned up, decent people, if that's the case, then we're really missing the biggest issue. Our issue, according to the Scripture, is not... That we're just as bad as we could possibly be. No, none of us are as bad as we could be. Some of us actually are pretty decent, especially when compared with others. That's not the issue. Where Where we land on the scale of goodness and badness. Our ultimate problem is that we are alienated from God. Our ultimate problem is, according to Romans 5, that our sin makes us enemies of God. And no matter how nice a person you are, there's no changing that. There's no undoing that. Because God's standard, God's standard is not pretty good. God's standard is not decent. God's standard is righteous. Because that's what He is. And therefore, nice people and nasty people are all in the same boat together. Our niceness is no credit to us. We don't get a leg up on the rest because we're decent people. We have to be made righteous through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I say this looking in the mirror to the nice people in the room. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that our niceness is what makes us acceptable to God. Or that it somehow makes us a cut above the rest as if we deserve better. No, we are enemies of God who have been made God's children and it took a cross to do it. It required a Savior to do it. And so if you find yourself, if you're like me and maybe you don't confess your sins all that often, just don't think about it. You don't often just stand in amazement at the beauty and the glory and the mercy of Jesus. It's possible that those things are true of us because we just don't see ourselves as that needy. I'm pretty good. And if I'm pretty good, then Jesus didn't have to do all that much for me. The cross was a help, not a rescue. That's a trap that nice folks fall into. Let's be careful about that. That's not what Romans 8 is telling us. Now, the second trap I mentioned is actually kind of on the other side of the road, where we might think that I'm such a worm that God could not possibly really forgive me. What Romans 8 says is wonderful, but it can't possibly be true because I know better. And here's how we phrase that a lot of times. We say, sure, I know what the Bible says. I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself because I know what I've done. I know who who I've really hurt. I'm living in the consequences of it, and it won't go away. And y'all, for us, if that's the case, then we say, okay, I know what I've done, and I've suffered for it, but I haven't suffered enough. There's more that must be paid. There's more that has to be atoned for. I just can't forgive myself. And see, if if that's the case, y'all, what we're saying is, I know God forgives me, but I'm still guilty. And forgiveness can't take the guilt away. That guilt needs to be punished and punished and punished. Even if it's only me in my own heart doing it to myself. Something has to be paid for that Jesus, wonderful as He is, somehow just what He did just wasn't enough for me. And that may sound ridiculous when you say it out loud, but it's easy to come to that conclusion. But y'all, I want us to rem- remember what we've seen just in these few verses in Romans 8. God's forgiveness is not sentimentality. It's not just words. It's not God saying, I can't be mad at you. You're just so precious. No, God has decisively acted through Jesus Christ. He has permanently removed your guilt. Not in a sentimental way, but in a real way. Your guilt is no more as far as the east is from the west. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. It's gone. You're holding on to something that God has said no longer exists. That's why in 1 John 3, we're told that even when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Remember this always, that the one whose opinion really matters has declared you innocent forgiven free he is greater than our hearts y'all we got to be assured of this that there's nothing about the grace of god that's been left unresolved there are no loose ends there's nothing that god has left up to chance he sent his son to stand in our place jesus bore our condemnation he fulfilled in us All righteousness. He has united Himself with us and by His Spirit we have been forever set free from the dominion of sin and of death so that both now and forevermore God the righteous judge passes down upon you and me the full and final verdict. No condemnation. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit and no longer by the flesh, the new life that we've been given. But for right now, I, just, I want to call us to faith in Christ. There are no commands in what we've read today. Not one command. Only declarations of what God has done through Jesus. You know, earlier I quoted very famous verse from Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look what Paul says right after that. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You can't have one without the other. God has demanded that justice be reckoned, that guilt be punished, He's just. But rather than destroying us, he has set us free by placing our condemnation on Christ. Y'all, if if you have not yet trusted Jesus for that precious gift, I want to appeal to you right now. And what the Scripture says is true. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because of what he's done for us. Not what we must do for him. Jesus paid it all. And now God says, you are free by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. And I pray that we would see it as truth, not wishful thinking. That what Jesus Christ has done is so encompassing, so fulfilling, so full and complete that, Lord, we would ruin it if we tried to add anything in. You have done it all, Lord, that we might receive it as a gift of grace through the redemption which is in your Son. And Father, where we have where we have insisted on our own categories that the good folks get the rewards and the bad folks get the condemnation. Lord, break our categories. Show us, Lord, that all are condemned. <clears throat> in reality. And yet we are saved by your intervening mercy. Then Let let the new category of grace grip our hearts. That because of the substitute of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice of his life for ours, all these wonderful things are, are true. Father, where we have um, fallen into these traps of of thinking too much, too well of ourselves and and diminishing our need for him. Or maybe we think too little of ourselves and we see ourselves as somehow just out of, of bounds. We can't be forgiven, truly. Father, would you show us what is true right down the middle? that there is no condemnation for for those of us who are in Christ Jesus by faith. Lord, let that change us. Let that truth amaze us. And Father, make us people who more and more and more (coughs) rest upon Christ in faith. that the full and final declaration has been made. We are yours, never to be condemned, never, because of Jesus. Father, give us faith to believe it, and give us faith to live like we really believe it. We ask it in his powerful name. Amen.